0: But how's everybody doing this morning? Great. Doing great. Feeling good after that wonderful news article that Paul mentioned to us that, yeah, we got the most work to do here in Nanaimo. Um, yeah, mine, if we haven't met here. Um, My name is Andy, Uh, me and my wife, who she was leading worship there. Um, uh, Yeah, we're uh, leading Oceanside Church with the rest of the eldership team. And uh, yeah, we're so thankful to have you here. We're uh, meeting all sorts of new people who are coming into the life of the church. Just met an amazing couple who just moved to the island very first Sunday here today. And I just want to encourage you, and I say this every week, but this is a common theme within this church. Uh, even though we're in a city uh, that is, uh, you know, needs some significant advancement with the gospel, this church is attracting new people. And that means if, if you're a person who's been here like a couple weeks, three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, or, uh, you know, in the months or something like that, please, every Sunday, just make an effort uh, to, say to say hi to someone who you haven't met before. Um, I remember the very first uh, early weeks where we came to Oceanside Church, and uh, yes, the welcome team is great, yes, the leaders are great, and all this other stuff, but it was actually the the people sitting in the rows that we met uh, at that time who have actually remained friends with us. Uh, now, even to this day, and it was, they were fairly new in the church as well at that time. And so, just to encourage you that uh, the church is a family. Uh, we do this thing as family. And if you're new here today, we are so happy to have you as family in this place. Now, because he was so efficient with the booth there, I just have to set up my computer here. My goodness. How many of you like the sleep-in that you got last week? Notice that our church was particularly full last week, and I'm like, wow, an hour's extra sleep in really encourages people to come to church. So who wants a later church starting? No, just kidding. I'm not going not gonna to go there. All that would serve to do is to completely anger probably a lot of people in the church here, but um, yeah, um, so good to be heading towards the Christmas season as well. Um, it's so amazing. Uh, you heard a, bit, a little bit about it in the booth there, but Um, The Rooted Ladies Group uh, are going to make yeah, sort of bringing items and raising funds for the Island Crisis Care Society. If you if you know anything about that society, they they provide a lot of the housing for the for the homeless men, the vulnerable women in our society, for families who don't have a place to go and to house them. They're making amazing progress, and they've got about 250 uh, clients in the region who sort of need a care package this Christmas. And we as a church have committed to to do a certain number of those. So if you sign up for the Rooted Ladies event, Katie's gonna uh, and her team are just Going to email you out a list of things that you can bring, so we can put some of those care packages together. And also, we've been thinking as a church, you know, how do we, um, you know, we're we're coming into this. We're a church of a variety of needs, right, in in this place. And, And every Christmas it comes up to us as as we see different families, and some are having good years, some are having difficult years. And something else we want to do into this next season is just establish more, a bit more of a giving heart of taking care of the needs within this house. Uh, especially around the Christmas season as that. So later this week, uh, through the newsletter most likely, we're just going to be releasing some details on how families can identify themselves as as they might be in some need. Or you may know a family who comes to church who would never put themselves down uh, as a family in need this Christmas, but you might know some of their needs and something like that. And our heart is to have basically a, a tree around on a Sunday. And actually Zoe, who's a part of our staff, has seen this done down in the States. Uh, basically, it's called a, a giving Christmas tree tree. And the idea is that we just hang needs within our city or within our congregation on that tree. And as we come to church uh, throughout December, and as we just walk past that tree, and as we think about how maybe some of us are so blessed, uh, that we can just walk past that tree and prayfully just maybe select a family anonymously and just say, Ashley, I'm going to take those on and then connect through the church office to say, hey, I see this family of four is, you know, needing some presents or some gifts or something like that. Uh, How can we love and support them? So yeah, we're we're sort of experimenting Experimenting into that area, but, but please, church, we're, we're, we're a family here today, and we're a family as we go into Christmas, and we are super excited uh, through what the great, amazing organizations are doing into the city, like the Island Crisis Care Society, but also we know that there's needs in this house as well. Um, so be on the lookout for that. Now, I want to start out today's uh, message. We're going to be continuing on the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians 3 is for us here this morning, but we're going to be continuing on the book and Man, I, I think this is the passage uh, to preach out of Philippians. When we were looking at Philippians, when we were looking at the different books of the Bible, and we, you know, we know that all Scripture is great and amazing. It's 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 used for preaching and teaching, and it benefits each each section benefits us. But when this section of Scripture came along, it's like, man, I want to preach Philippians just so I can get to this bit just so we can get here. And and as the person who laid out the preaching series this time, I got to steal that section of scripture for myself completely selfishly. So I am super excited about what God wants to say here this morning. And I'm just super stoked that we, we have arrived in Philippians 3, the second half this morning here. Because Paul is gonna talk to us about his whole drive for life, the whole reason behind everything he does. And it gets me thinking about you know, when was the last time in our lives that we were completely and utterly single-focused on one thing? These seasons, they come and go in our lives. Sometimes we're, li- we're living in a relaxed period of our lives where we're just sort of carrying out the day-to-day. There's no big thing happening. Maybe there's a vacation planned sometime next year or something like that. Uh, but most of the time, you know, we're in this sort of quiet season. And then there's other seasons of our lives where it seems like everything else fades away and we become tunnel vision focused on the finish line or a prize that's set out before us. You know, maybe it's before the birth of a child. We're expecting our third child coming in February. And most of the time, I forget that we're having a baby. And then, and then I realize again, I'm like, oh my goodness, we're having another one. So I'm not quite tunnel-focused. I think Camilla might be a bit more aware of what's happening inside of her than are than sometimes. She's so in tune with her body. It's great. Um, but maybe it's the birth of the child. And as you get closer and closer to that happening, you get more and more and more focused. And if you've ever talked to a lady who's passed her due date, man, do not mention the due date because she is so focused that the finish line should have been last week. And it's not today or maybe you've got an exam coming up or something like that, or maybe you're a marathon runner and you're preparing for this amazing race that's coming down the line, and maybe it's the day of the marathon, and then you become more and more focused. You know, I've never run a marathon, but I suppose at the beginning of a a marathon, everybody looks quite happy, and everybody looks quite relaxed. They're having a great time. They're high-fiving. They're going out for a jog, and then as you chew down the miles, you can see everybody becomes more and more focused on that finish line. As it becomes more and more important to them that they get the thing done. Maybe you've got a job interview coming up. Maybe you're without work here this morning and you're seeking for that next thing. Maybe you've been through a life or death situation where at those times it's like, man, nothing else is important, just the very thing, the very life or death thing. We've all been through these different things. And we like to define ourselves by these moments as well. You know, at the end of these moments, if it's like running a marathon or something like that, you get a massive achievement at the end. You get the medal, you get the prize, you get the glory, you get to put the Instagram picture up there and point to yourself to say, hey, look how good I've done with this thing. Or in other ways, it's, it's possessions, right? Sometimes we're going towards, we're saving for that thing that we really want. It's a, it's a physical thing that we're after. It's a physical job that we're after. It's a saving for a house in a, in a market that seems to run away. Like, that's my goal. That's the thing that I want. And we decide, define ourselves like this, and we, we look out for it. And so much of our lives... I spent in these tension moments where we're so focused on the next thing. Who knows the next thing in their life? Oh, we're all... We're all... No, okay. That's good. We're relaxed. I think maybe it's reading week at VIU or something like that. I think that was last week. Before all the, the, the exams start and everything like that. But we spend so much of our lives in this tension of waiting and walking and focusing on the next thing, to possess the prize that is before us, to get the thing that we've determined ourselves to get. Sometimes we're forced into these seasons out of no fault of our own. Sometimes it's a season where we get to choose what we go after, And that thing of possession is important for us today as we open up the scriptures. So let's just pray before we open up the text here. If you've got a Bible here this morning, open to Philippians three, and we're looking at the second half, beginning there in, in verse 12. But Lord God, we just thank you for this word here this morning, Lord God. We just pray as we open your scriptures, Father, Lord, that they would speak. Lord, I thank you, Lord, when the word of God is preached, when your praises are proclaimed, Lord God, it is never an average Sunday because you are in the house here, ready to teach, ready to sow seeds into our lives, ready to heal, ready to increase our vision for the next thing that you've got for us here this morning, Lord God. So we thank you, Lord, as we open your scriptures. Would you just illuminate it to us here, Lord God? May it not be our words, but may it be your word here today. Amen. So Paul, in this scripture today, in Philippians 3, um, From verse 12, he's going to show us the single determining thing for his life. He's going to say, guys, this is what I'm focused on. This is why. And this is how to do it. And from verse 12, he says, and he says this. He's continuing on from where Paul was preaching last week on Christ's righteousness. He says, not that I have already obtained it. This or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. And I'm going to leave the one thing I do as a dot, dot, dot. You see, Paul, when he was writing this letter, if you remember back two weeks ago when Paul preached, he was all about the righteousness of God. All, Paul got out that, that white robe, and we joked that it was going to be our new Christmas choir costume, but, but Paul got out that right, white robe to show us that we are cloaked in Jesus' righteousness, that it's him who covers us. And then Paul, immediately on from that, when he's talking about the, the power of um, Christ's resurrection power and all of that stuff, he says, I have not already obtained this, and I am not Perfect but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. This is the same thought as where we were two weeks ago. Christ Jesus has made me his possession. What we discover here, the reason for Paul's focus that we're gonna figure out here, it's not for a possession that he has to go for in his own strength, but instead in a supernatural way, he says, I press on, I'm single focused, single-mindedly focus in this way because someone else has made me their possession. Namely, Christ has made me his. Church, that's where we start here this morning. We don't start with works. We don't start with what we've got to do. We start with what has already taken place for us. That's why we start with worship every Sunday. We start with worship because we remind ourselves of how amazing God is, how much he has worked for us, how much we have bought our 0% to his 100%. And then it's cool because worship then shifts once we've sorted that stuff out. And then it seems with those messages that Becker and Wes and Jocelyn brought that God wants to move and to heal us as well as we worship him. But as Paul starts out this next thought, he says, Christ has made me his own possession. Church, that is an amazing thought. And it's that covering of that white robe where Paul last week was saying, there's nothing that we could do to deserve it. It's all Christ's doing over us. In 1 Peter, you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says that we are a people for his own possession. That we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. A people of his own possession. That is the driving force behind the single-minded Christian. For myself, there's again been different seasons where I've been single-mindedly, single, I can't speak sometimes, single-mindedly focused on something coming up. you know, it's funny when you're preparing a preach, you're like, when did I use that analogy? When did I do that thing? But this morning, I wanna talk about, there was this season where me and Camilla were getting married. Me and Camilla, uh, we met, when did we meet? 2008, whenever that financial crisis was happening. We were so in love, we didn't know what was going on. All of your finances and savings were going down the hole, but we were just perfectly in love. We didn't have any money anyway, so we were like, oh, it doesn't really matter to us. But we met in 2008 in Mozambique. We were in a, on a, in a mission school for about three months there. And in the last two weeks, we began dating. But there was this problem that we had, is that we were from two different countries. I was from England. She was from Canada. You can guess who won the tug of war about who, who, which country we ended up in. But there was this season of pursuit in our lives. There was this season of, ooh, look at her, or ooh, look at him, maybe, I don't know. Uh, God had to speak mightily to Camilla. For me, he just made her beautiful, so I knew what to do. Um, but there was a season of pursuit. We, we, we dated online for about a year after being together for those three months. We saw each other. We flew back and forth whenever we could. And then there was a season of engagement. And then we, there was a season of committing to the, this thing that we wanted to possess in our lives. And then there was a season of the wedding. And about halfway through our engagement... Uh, we shifted where we were going to live. We thought that we were going to live in England. Camilla had a European passport and all that stuff. So we just thought, nice and easy. God's made it really clear about where we should be. She's got the right passport. Come, Come live in England. And then we spent some time in England. We spent our engagement in England where she lived with a friend down the street. And then we realized actually how sucky England was compared to Canada. And we're like, hang on a minute. And God shifted our hearts and about halfway through, we came together and we just think, yeah, we we feel like God is calling us back to Canada. And we got married in the August of uh, 2010. And uh, luckily I remember that year correctly. Um, We got married in August 2010, uh, but we didn't have any of the paperwork together. We didn't have my immigration sorted. We didn't do the smart thing like some of you international couples do where you get secretly married six months before. We didn't know that was a thing. So you can do all the paperwork and things like that. Who's secretly married here this morning? No, just kidding. Here's the thing. If you married someone from a far off land, you can do a ceremony, then do all your paperwork, and then do your big ceremony and get married. We didn't know anything about that. So we made the commitment. Camilla was starting VIU. We got like a two-day honeymoon in Whistler. Uh, We got married, and then she went to school. And then guess what? Because none of my immigration stuff was sorted, I went back to England for an undetermined amount of time. There was a bunch of paperwork, I think about 80 pages of paperwork that we had to submit. There were medical tests, all these other things. And we had a very obscure start to our marriage where we got married. And then two weeks later, we moved to separate sides of the planet. I just want to say for you young couples, you know, don't rush into anything. This is a great way to start things slow. Let things stew and salivate. No. Nobody wants to start their marriage in such a way. And we were in this season where I had a ring, the very same ring that I have on my finger today, I had that ring on my finger, I was married, I was, I was her possession, she was my possession, we were one in Christ, we were married, but we were completely separate from one another as well. And in that season, it was this time where it could have been three months, it could have been seven months, it could have been eight months, and guess how long it was? Seven months. But in that season, that was a season of single-minded focus for us. Man, we were sweating when we had to submit the paperwork. Wow, if one thing is wrong here, we couldn't afford an immigration lawyer or something like that, so we were just praying that we had everything correctly. There was like a missing police check from South Africa that would never come through for me. I don't know what I did there, but they wouldn't give me one. And all this other stuff, we were just pleading with the Lord, Lord, may it come and may it come quickly because we are single mindedly focused on this next thing. And I think this picture is in our life kind of like Christ is in our life today. We are wedded with Christ, we are His, we are His sole possession, but we are apart right now in in physical form. There is a day coming when there will be no barrier, nothing between us, where we get to stand in his presence. But right now, we're in a tension. And when Paul says that, not that I've already obtained it, this is what he's talking about. He's saying Christ is coming to to fully clothe me with that righteousness. And I I have the righteousness of Christ, but I'm not perfect yet. I'm not already perfect. But then he says, I press on to make it my own. And that's what we were doing in this time as a young married couple who were part. We were pressing on as much as we can, bugging everybody, making sure everything was filled out. And there wasn't a moment, as soon as the letter came back in the mail, we were ready to go. We had the finances sorted, there was nothing to delay. We made sure every other, everything else that could delay us getting back together was out of the way because we were determined on this thing. And Paul says in the same way, because Jesus Christ has made me his own. One thing I do. And church, this morning, the message that for us is this morning is, what is the one thing that we are called to do? People will whittle your life down and try to define you by one thing, right? They'll try and write the banner over your life, or you're a failure, or you're, you're this, you're that. Lots of people have written titles over your lives if you're here this morning, some good, some bad. <clears throat> but the title of our lives is this next thing. And in Philippians 3, the second half of 13, he says this, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind And straining forward, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And this was the section of scripture I wanted to get to in Philippians. I'm like, this is it. This is it. Right snap bang in the middle. This is it. One thing. And I believe God wants to speak out of this passage and give us a few handles on how we can become and work out what it means to be single-mindedly focused on God's kingdom, single-mindedly focused on the thing to come. And we're just going to, so I've got six bullet points. We've been doing some more bullet points in recent weeks here, and some of you said, hey, we like bullet points. So for those of you who study and things like that, these are for you. For those of you who don't bullet points that don't like bullet points, just listen. That's fine too. But point number one for us here, if you've got that, Dan, um, from how can we live as single-minded Christians? The first thing that I love, that I if I was to write a handbook on how to live as a single-minded Christian, I would have never started here. But God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, putting pen to paper with Paul, put this first: saying, know how to forget the past. What does the writer says? He said, one thing I do, and then he lists like six or seven things, but it's all one thing. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Church, if we are going to be a church that's going into the mission field of this needy city, Nanaimo, the first thing that God is calling us to do is to forget the former things, is to forget the things that have come and would call us to hinder. Even with that news article that came out that Paul talked about, the least church city in Canada, man, first thing I want to do is I want to take that and I want to forget it and I want to look on to what Christ actually wants to do because we are not defined by our past or what we've done. We are defined by what he wants to do. Just like that being clothed in Christ, we are not defined by what we bring to Christ. We are defined what Christ brings to us and puts on us. We need to forget the former things. Every time, we, we see this when like, people are at a major uh, stepping, stepping stone of their life, right? We, we often see it with baptism sometimes. Remember my mom telling me her story of baptism and saying, yeah, the week before I was baptized, it seemed like all hell was breaking loose in my life. The devil was, the enemy was trying to remind me of all these things that I've done before that made me not worthy enough to, to, to seek baptism in the Lord. As if we would ever be worthy to seek baptism in the Lord in our own strength, But church, the first thing of us, and a big thing for us here today, and a big thing for us if you are feeling dry and weary and not worthy or something like that, is you need to forget some things that you've done in your life. You need to forget some hurts that other people have put on you, that have come from out out externally into you. You know, if you're going for a hike, if you've got a really long distance to go, You take off every little thing, every little weight that is going to add resistance to your journey. And church, the first thing that Jesus wants to say here this morning is, I want to heal you from the former things. That Our mandate here as a church, Mike and Deb's established this some years ago with the the group of believers that were there, which is a gathering and a healing church. Church, we cannot go out into the city in force. We cannot see the call of God come in our lives unless we first get healed of the former things. There's an amazing group of people in the church who are going through freedom sessions. Uh, so Doug, Doug's here today who runs, that, who runs that course, but it's all about dealing with the past so we can forget it, so we can be healed from it, so we can go into the next things. Christ doesn't define you by your past. He defines us by our future. Amen? Jesus even says this. He's talking to people who who want to follow him, and they're coming up with all these different excuses about why they can't follow him at this moment. But in Luke 9, 62, Jesus says to them, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. Strong (laughs) words from Jesus, especially if you go and look at what the, the people were wanting to do before they came and followed him. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. But in God's harshness, he's trying to help us. He's saying, I've got so much that I'm calling you into church. I have so much harvest. I have so much fruit. There is so much potential in this city. If you look back, you're going to miss it. If you dwell in it, you're going to miss it. If you think about how much of a mess up you are and don't know how blessed you are into the future, you're going to miss it because instead of thinking about the future, you're going to be thinking about the past. Who knows this in your own life? We're sabotaged all the time by not forgetting the past. That's point one. The second point for us, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Dan, you can just leave the points up. I'll uh, I'll just read the scriptures. That's fine. To um, said, know how to be stretched, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward towards what lies ahead. Church, when we live in the Western world, in this society, there is a big idol amongst us. I battle with it every day and it is the idol of comfort and security and personal provision and knowing that I've got this in my own strength. God, wants a church that knows how to be stretched. Do you believe that? We're waking up to this realization, aren't we, church? A comfortable church tends not to be a church that is out advancing God's kingdom. A church that's not working out the muscles of evangelism and all these other things and all these other gifts that God has given his church is a church that is not being stretched and has become lethargic. And we are in a city that can no longer stand to dwell with a lethargic church. It's not an option anymore. When we think about who's raising the next generation, when we think about who is discipling, who is creating culture in this city, for a church that's not moving forward, for a church that's not putting one step in front of the other, foot in front of the other, it's going to be a church where we don't put a dent in those numbers. We need to be the model church in this place where we strain forward for what lies ahead. We can see that on the early church, can't we, church? We can see that through the book of Acts and how they wrote their lives. And indeed, this letter, just as a reminder, is being written from prison because the apostle Paul has stretched forward so much that he's been, he's been messing up with the authorities and stuff like that. And people have become opposed to him. We need a stretch Forward, we need a strain forward. Talking of Jesus again in Luke 13, it says, strive to enter through the na- narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. Early in Philippians, we saw, it says in 127, it says, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side. Church, we are not the church of a striving couple dozen. We are the church of a striving family side by side. A church that's going to impact this city is not going to be one where it's just done by a few connect group leaders or a few deacons or elders and other people who are putting up their hand to to lead in different areas. Even so many of you have have called to say that you're going to serve in 180. It's massive and it's awesome. But it's going to be, take a church that is not only alive on a Sunday morning for a couple hours, but is alive throughout the week, straining forward into the areas that Christ has us put in. This word of straining, if you look it up and stretching out, it has this, has this thing of sort of reaching into the future. So there's, this, there's this thing of like, I can go so far with my feet, but then I go further with my hands and I strain and I stretch forward to the things that Christ wants to do in this place. Yeah. And church, I believe that God for us this morning wants to awaken vision for us to say, where can we stretch our hands to? The impact that could be known through this room. In 1 Timothy 4:10 it says for this end we toil and strive again that stretching striving we strive because we have our hope set on the living God. You can't stretch for God unless your hope is set on him. Amen. Point number 3 for us this morning is God want <sighs> We need to know what lies ahead. There's two directions in this scripture, if you've got it with us. We'll keep those points on the screen. But if you look at the scripture, there's two directions here. Paul talks about going forward, and he talks about going upward. And just in meditating on this scripture, I feel like there's two directions that we need to be striving for in life. And there's the things that we're going forward into, right? That, that on this horizontal plane on the earth, we need to be Christians that are living lives in forward momentum. If you've got a business, it means grow that business. It means if you've got a family, it means grow that family. If, it, you've, got, if you've got influence within, within a group or something like that, grow that. Do that. Do the good things that are here on the earth. And we need to know what lies ahead. What kind of life has God prescribed us to live while we're on this earth? While we're here in this horizontal plane? what lies ahead church i confess again there's those seasons that come and go in our lives right there's the season of that of that marriage where i i know that the thing that defined me i was working a job in the coffee shop and there were people who knew who in england who, who knew what i was doing in that place and every time they'd see me they come in and say oh you're still not married or you're still you're still here you're still here every day it was like you're still here and uh, and then there was one day where i wasn't there anymore Now, I wonder if they noticed, Um, but it was, it was that thing is like, I constantly was aware by the people around me and myself, my reality of what laid ahead. And church, we, we need to be a church that's being intentional with our futures. Even for those of you who are retired, just again, talking to a couple here, they, they've moved here and they're they're retired here. That's the reason why there's no houses because they moved here. Um, No, just kidding. Sorry. There's and I moved here too, 10 years ago, so it's, um, it's an amazing place to be. But even for us who are entering into a physical retirement, right, we need to know what lies ahead. There's no retirement in the kingdom. There's, only, there's always call. The calling never gets removed. There's no retirement. We need to know what lies ahead in this life. Sometimes we're really good at coming to church and knowing what lies ahead in that next life. I love that verse that Paul read about Revelation. And I've been so excited in recent years to know what is laying ahead for us when we go to be with Jesus. But God also wants us to be alive to the physical plans of the purpose that we have for us now. Point number four is that we need to know the goal and the prize. Or maybe let's call it the finish line of the race. So while we're earthly minded, while we're stretched here on the earth, we also need the goal. We need to know the reason why we're doing everything. In 1 Corinthians 9.24, it says this, and I love it, with the, with the race analogy. It says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. they do it to receive, uh, they do it to receive a perishable, perishable wreath, but we, us, an imperishable. And then at the beginning of verse 26, he just says, "So do not run aimlessly. Do not run aimlessly. We can think about that funny, a funny picture, right? Where if you, if you saw someone running a marathon and they were just running around in circles, you know? They, they weren't running the prescribed course. They weren't running with the other people who were running. They were just sort of like running like my kids do on a Sunday morning around all the chairs. They just, there's, there's no pre-prescribed direction. It's, it's the very definition of being aimless. And it's beautiful in a kid, but in us as adults, we need to be focused on where we're going. And again, with this article, I think we found our focus, right? I think we found our focus. And in every area of life, there's different focus. There's different finish lines. You know, with our kids, it's bringing them up. With our, with our marriage, it's being faithful in marriage and all this other stuff. But ultimately, there is one finish line in our lives. We talked about it a few weeks ago, it's been on my heart, but we have, those, we have those deathbed thoughts, right? Where suddenly, we're on our deathbed and we realize everything that was most important in life. But after death, comes new life standing before Jesus, there's going to be deathbed thoughts, and there's going to be before Jesus thoughts, right? Of what is the one thing that we are living for? Do not run aimlessly. Church, we need to know the goal for our city, for our co-workers, for perhaps that sibling who who isn't saved and You guys are just sort of functioning in a a relationship, but there's no progress being made. We need to come back to the goal for that that sibling's life to say, actually, Lord, you have a goal for this person. You have a hope for this person. You have salvation for this person. I'm going to pray into it. I'm going to intercede for it. I'm going to seek the finish line for that person. Amen? Amen? Amen. We need to know the finish line that God is calling us into. And point number five, a big one for us, church, for you, have taken, for you who are taking notes, is to know the upward, the upward call. If there's horizontal living that we're to do well, we're to know the upward call of Christ. This is to know the eternal call on our lives as we live it. This is to us that we know that whenever we do anything in the physical, it has ramifications on the physical plane, but it also has ramifications on the eternal plane, right? There is one thing that has been made sure in your life, just like the apostle Paul knew. He knew that Christ had made his possession, but guess what? Everything else is to play for. Everything else is that team going out on the field and working hard to get the ball, to get it into the net, to score the prize, to win the prize. We might be saved. We in this room who know Jesus might know that we're safe and secure in knowing that we are Christ's possession. So we can sleep easy at night. But we need to know the upward call of God for our city. Amen? We need to know that God has a call for our city. I love that church. It's encouraging to stand up here and to see a church that has now come back in numbers similar to where we were before COVID. But as I look at the walls outside the city, we see we are far from where we need to be. We are far from the reality of where God wants us to be. And with church, we need to wake up. And that, that article was just, we had our elders, deacons, and connect group leaders on Tuesday night. And at the end, that, that article was being passed around. And you're just like, wow, now we know what we're doing. As if we didn't before. But now we know what we're doing here. We need to know. And church, there are two types of calling for us here. There's a calling for us as a church. And it's amazing because God knits us together in family. And what, what you're good at is not what I'm good at. Some of you are really good at evangelism. I'm not really good at evangelism sometimes. I'm still called to evangelize, but it's maybe not my primary gifting. But God has put us together as a family to go forth into the calling of what we're called to as a, as a body. But what we need to know, church, and what you're thrust into as you start to lead in different avenues and as you start to read your Bible is God also has a call for you individually. And it's an upward call. God has a reason why you're in this city. God has a reason why you're in your family. God has a reason why you're in your school, in your classroom with those difficult people or that difficult teacher, because God actually put you there for a purpose. Do you believe it? Or are we living lives that said, I'm just randomly here and this is the thing that I've got to get through until my next earthly provisional peace comes through? No, we are heavenly minded. Whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, we say, God, redeem it for your calling, and if you don't know your specific calling, there's this general calling that we all have. And it's to know Jesus and to make him known. We're all called to do that as individuals and as a church. And as you walk into the simplicity of that, and as you walk into uh, praying about it, God reveals different things. Like for us, that we felt called to Nanaimo. Like for Mike and Debs, we felt called to plant a church. We were talking we were talking to Lee and Janine yesterday, and we're, we're thinking about, Wow, wasn't it cool that Mike and Debs, who planted this church 25 years ago, felt called to Nanaimo? You know, it's such a weird thing to say, why would anybody coming from, you know, another country like South Africa pick Nanaimo. It wouldn't come up on any top 10 list. It wouldn't come up on anything like that. But God designed a circumstance to bring this church here today. And I believe that this church is here today because of that calling, because of this article, that now he wants to thrust us and to create God, to create a glorious name for himself in this city. That someday down the road, and it's not a numbers game or anything like that, but it is a harvest game that actually in this city, there is a better harvest than any other city. That's what I'm proud of in this moment. In this time, where we might see it as a barrier, where we might see it as a wall, it's not a wall, it's not a barrier, it's a harvest field that is before us. If you were a salesman, what's a thing people sell? Um, Shoes. If someone said shoe salesman, you have a shoe salesman, Paul? Someone comes to your house and he's a banker, he's on a different shoe bracket to me. <laughs> Sorry. I wish I was a bank. I wish I was as good with finances like Paul. But um, uh, but if, if if you came to a city and nobody had any shoes and you're a shoe salesman, you'd be dancing for joy. You'd be like, "These idiots! They don't have any shoes! I'm going to clean up." <laughs> and that is what's before us here this morning, Church. Do you agree? We are salesmen, there is kingdom, there is an inheritance to be had in this place. We need to know the prize and we need to know the upwards call. The things, the horizontal things, they're the things that we get to bless and keep in this life, but they're instantly gone when we go. But the upward things, the call of God, those are the things that we get to inherit into the next life. Do not store up where moth destroys, but lay up in heaven, right? Yeah. This is this piece of the upward call towards God. We better know the call on our lives. Those of us who are feeling a calling to lead in our community, we better know, especially as we're saying, I'm going to lead a connect group or I'm going to lead a, a kids group or something like that. We better know what God is calling us to so we can live out faithfully. In Romans 8, 28, it says, For we know that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. What that means to me is that when we're living out his purposes, we are called into the, we're, we're called into those good things. All things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purposes. The people who wrote that scripture, that they, they didn't live the nicest lives. It wasn't a prosperity gospel that they were living. But they, it was still true for them that, God worked everything for good for them. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26, it says, For consider your calling. For consider your calling. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise. That's me, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. That's me too. Not many were of noble birth. That's me too. But God chose what is foolish to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And I love that verse teamed with the first thing of we need to forget the past. And it's because of this verse, because God actually wants, wants to choose the least likely to proclaim his glorious name. Do you agree? So if you're feeling weak, if you're feeling like actually this call of God is for somebody else who's, who's got more zhuzh and other things or whatever it is that you can't say, actually God wants to choose the weak to proclaim his name. Yeah. So that means our kids as well. Man, my kids have a faith that's beyond my faith sometimes because they don't have the same thought limitations that I've, I've come to know. And point six for us today is that we need to know the authority of who commissioned us in the calling. It says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call, and then it says, of God in Christ Jesus. And we realize that this is not our call. Yes, it is our call, but it's primarily his call. And do you know why that's important? Because if, if I stood up here when, when we were looking at, again, the church transition leadership a number of weeks ago, if this is, I said, yeah, I'm called cool to lead the church. I'm called cool to do this. I'm called cool to do that. Actually, I have no ability to do this thing in my own strength. The only security for you, church, and for me, church, is that it's his calling, not my calling. Because God chooses the weak. God chooses the people who know that I can't do this in my own strength. Yes, I'll follow as faithfully as I can, but I know the authority of they, him who commissioned me. When, when, a, who is it, when an ambassador goes to another country... It is not them who has the authority, but they go just like the president or the prime minister was there standing before the other leader to declare the, the thing that they had been sent with. They know the authority that they go with. Church, do we know it? In Ephesians 3.20, it says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. Church, we need to know the calling of God because He's even more, what does it say? He's even more able, He's able to do it far more abundantly than we ask or think. Even than we ask or think. I've got expectations for this church. The leadership team have expectations for the church. You have expectations for the church. We're all coming with our different expectations of where we see it, where we think we want to go and all this other thing. But Ephesians 3.20, it says that he is far more able to do that what we expect. That's exciting. Even in my wildest dreams, God is far more able if we were to come to him. The next set of verses it says from 3:17. It says, "Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross." So there is single-mindedness, and now he's talking about people who have turned around. He says their end is destruction. The God is their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And because I spent so much time talking before, I don't have time to go into this, but. Dan, just put on all four uh, of those points on this next slide. But there's a reason why the Apostle Paul points out the the very opposite things, and I think it's it's summarizes here. There, we have the ability to walk opposed to the cross, and that's when we think it's invalid and powerless. We need not to live as Christians who think the cross is invalid and powerless. We need to know the power of the cross because the power of the cross has far more power than we do to reach the city of Nanaimo. We could talk a few people into the kingdom of heaven. We could convince them it's a good way to live, but it's the power of the cross. It's the power of God who ultimately has the power. We need not make worldly provision and possession our God. Church, we've got to get away from that. And yes, we run focused on all these things in life, and some of them are good, and some of them are bad, but they, let's not make them God. We need to keep God in his place, and worldly provision and possession is not, there's a shaking coming to the world, right? We can see another financial crisis coming. In these times, it's honestly a time where we refocus and we refocus to say, actually, to be satisfied in life, to be happy in life, isn't of these things that I can afford, but it's of this thing that I could never afford, Christ Jesus. We need to stop glorying in things that will not be present in the next life. It says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly. We're talking about the worldly provision. They glory in their shame. Church, we need to know what is coming into the next life. We need to know God's heart. We need to know what he defines as good and bad. And we need to know um, the things that will be present in the next life. And we need to stop thinking from an earthly perspective I love at the end of that when he's talking, when he's giving this warning, when he's talking about the people who he thinks of with tears. And again, he's not slamming them. He's not slandering them. He's, he's thinking about them with tears, which is our posture uh, to the people who don't know Christ or are living opposed to Christ. It's not of we hate you and we revile you. No, it's we think about you with tears and compassion. We wish that it was another way. And he says, only um, with their minds set on earthly things. What that means to me is the more heavenly focus we can become, the more eternal focus that we can become, the more that this is going to work out in our lives. Amen? When we're consumed with the, with the, with the wealth, with the failing, with all the stuff that's happening in this earth, you can be consumed with politics. <laughs> you can, I've stopped listening to daily news because it's just like it starts my day off in the wrong way. It starts my day off in the wrong way. I'm not uneducated. I'm still educated about what's going on, but I've stopped letting it consume my every moment because ultimately it's been having my mind set on those earthly things. And we need people who are pushing into politics and voting and getting our voices out there because we live in this amazing democratic society where we can advance the kingdom of God through a vote as well, but we let us not be consumed by it. It's not the, the saving mechanism to the world. And if the band would come up here, Paul ends... This section of scripture with an edification with an encouragement to us. So again, he shows us how to be single-mindedly focused. He says five or six things about how to do it. He gives us a four-point warning on how not to go the other way. But then he ends with this, another classic verse that maybe we see written on Instagrams or coffee cups sometimes or something like that. It says Philippians 3:20. It says, "But our citizenship is in heaven." And from it, so actually, let me read the whole thing from 17. Brothers, join me in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us, for many of whom I tell you, and have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, for their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But, but, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him to even enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my crown and my joy, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And my last thing for us as the bands just prepare to play is that how can we stand firm? Again, we know our calling, we know that we should be straining, we know that we should be going, we know that we should be advancing, we know that we should be forgetting the past. But Paul reminds us, after warning us about those few things, he says, we need to know our citizenship. We need to know our citizenship. Again, in that story where we, me and Camilla were married, but we weren't living together, we, weren't, we were married, but we were not married, I knew I had the ring on the finger. And even though she wasn't there, I knew I was married in the eyes of God, in the eyes of the law, in the eyes of our friends and family. We need to know our heavenly citizenship. We need to know it, not just laid up on a shelf that we remind ourselves every once in a while. We need to know our heavenly citizenship because church, it changes everything. It means we can risk. It means we can give. It means we can spend. It means we can put in effort because I'm not worried about my earthly things. I'm worried about that heavenly thing that's coming, right? Knowing our heavenly citizenship changes everything. It's like knowing your bank account. If you had a trust fund and you were getting like $5 million when you turned 21 or something like that, you would live with a boldness in life because you know what awaits you, what is coming. And same with our Christian heritage, with our citizenship in heaven. Point number two for us in that is that we patiently wait. Paul says, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we're in this tension of we are saved, we have a Savior, but we also await his coming. We realize that we will not have perfection in this life until he comes again. We await our Savior. And I love verse 21 that he includes it here. It says, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And that, for us, church, is that glory awaits us. Glory awaits us. Guess what? By putting your hand up and saying you're a Christian and saying what you believe in this society gets you the very opposite thing of glory, right? It's why the Nanaimo Christian School is growing at this time. Because you realize as parents, as kids, you realize that actually my kid's going to have a a harder time in a secular world than there's many families in here and and, and it's, it's hard for us to know like, where to put our kids, right? And where we have the ability to put our kids. But we need to know that glory awaits us in the next life. We need to know that our struggling bodies will be transformed, so much of our, of our worldly discussion today is about that transformation, right? Like uh, our world realizes that something is wrong. They realize that something is off. They realize that something is broken. They realize they need healing. And they're trying to seek healing here. But Paul says in this, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. Church, glory is coming when we see Jesus again. And then he says this, the last thing. He says, all things are under Jesus' authority. If we're going to live out the call of God in our society, in our nation, we need to know that all things, all things are under his authority. He says, by the power that enables him to subject all things, sorry, the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, you can stand firm. Church, we need to know. (laughs) That God owns the land. He owns the power. It's by common grace that we're able to function here, right? It's by common grace that we're able to live fruitful lives, even though we don't know Christ in the, in the, in the physical. But we need to know, as we raise our expectations for Nanaimo, as we step out into the calling of God that he has for us, and that we are, as we ask God, Lord, Lord, give me some boldness here this morning, Teach me how to be bold. We need to know that the power to be bold, the power to advance, the power to live out the calling and go forward doesn't come from ourselves. But it's the power that enables him, Jesus, to subject all things to himself. Everything is the subject of Jesus. Everything. There is nothing that can escape his authority. And yes, we're in this season where things are going on and things are going sideways and things, but God wants to move in the NIMO. That news article that was, that was said, right, said 31.5% of people in Nanaimo identify as Christian. And I think it was about 9.5% within that category said they were Catholic, and there were lots of other categories as well. But 31.5%, and Nimo News Now, they interviewed the, one of the Catholic priests in town. And the Catholic, they were talking back and forth, and they said, yeah, probably... You know, if 9.5% of people are saying they're Catholic, probably 10% of that number are actually involved in any kind of service in one of the Catholic churches in town here. So for us, we see that number is 31.5%. It's actually probably more like 10% of that number is actually living an active Christian life that are on mission for God. That's you and me sitting here today is that number, 3.5% of the people in Nanaimo. And like I said, church, we're no longer in a season where we can coast along as a church. You know, after, after switching, transitioning to church, we could probably coast along for a while, right? We could get through on our cool music and our good systems and our policies and procedures and all of you who come and give generously, we could coast along. But actually, the time is done of coasting, right? The, the time is over. It doesn't, it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> the harvest is ripe, but the, the time of not going into the harvest field is, is over. We need a... I am so hopeful for the next generation. There is a generation that are coming up in our nation who are totally dissatisfied with what has been handed down. Totally dissatisfied. Some of you are even sitting here this morning and you're saying, even the faith that I see, even in the way the church, they do stuff. I was like, I'm, I'm dissatisfied because I believe there's more. I believe there's more. And we need to be a church who are done with the idle, hand-me-down faith that we try and give to the next generation sometimes. We need to be a church that is running. My dad used to see me on the soccer field, and I hated playing soccer with my dad. He used to yell at me. (laughs) He used to tell me exactly where to do and what to go. And I'm like, I don't like it. I don't like playing sports. He said, Andy, you're on your heels. I can see you're on the backs of your heels. You're not wanting the ball. And he said, get on your toes. He's like, as soon as you get on your toes, you're ready to move. Instead of reacting on your heels, you're moving on your toes. You're ready to go. Church, we need to be a church that is on our toes for the next generation just uh, in um, the service there, sorry, I called the band up and now they have to awkwardly stand there for a while. I but I felt just, yeah, it's been brought up a, a few times in the last, last um, while, but Isaiah 43, I just want to speak it over our city, who is in such desperate dying need. I want to speak it over our kids, over our families, over our congregation, who we need a dramatic shift from one thing to the next. It says in verse 11, Isaiah 43, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there no, was no strange God amongst you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also henceforth I am He. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn back. Verse 16 says, Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse and army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Behold, church, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Church, let's stand. As the as the As the worship team lead us, maybe if you have your Bible, just open to Isaiah 43 and look at verse 19, verse 18 and 19. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Do we perceive it? Church, as the band worship, I want you to pray Isaiah 43 over our nation and our city. Will you do that with me? There are some of you here today who, like Ken said last week, what are the two words that have hit you? There are some of you here today where the very first point or the very first scripture was, forget the former, or sorry, forget, forgetting what lies behind. If you are seeing opportunity robbed from you because the enemy speaks a different word to to the way God is leading, I want you to come forward for prayer. There is something special that happens when believers lay hands on one another. And if you feel like the enemy would try and hold you back, you know there is opportunity in my life, but I feel like the the former things are just overtaking and clouding out. We want to see you healed. So would you come to the front? And there's another set of people here who feel like they need a commissioning as well maybe you're in another season where you're just like, I want to live that calling. I want to go. I want to run. I'm on my toes. I'm listening. I want God to move in this city, and I want him to use me. I want to pray for you as well. I want to pray. We want to pray for you as well. It's not some big thing, but at the end of any service, we want to make opportunity for us to minister through the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you agree? Because God wants to change. God wants to shift. There is never an average summary. He's always moving and doing something. So church, we're going to sing, open Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, pray this over the city as we sing. Paul, do you have anything? I'm going to hand it over to Paul as we close. Yeah. Thank you, church.